Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, we would like to welcome you to your favorite show in all the world with the Axe King, Mike Miller, the Leatherman, Chris Killinger, your Legitimus Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast. I appreciate everybody taking the time to listen and uh, put up with us. Just going to do a little pre-intro here. Uh, on today's podcast with special guest Nathan Trueblood. Uh, and whenever I say Trueblood, I always think First Blood. And whenever I say or think First Blood, then I think Rambo. And with that, make sure that you take a listen and uh, enjoy the podcast. Thanks. Colonel, you came out here to find out why one of your machines blew a gasket. You don't seem to want to accept the fact that you're dealing with an expert in guerrilla warfare. With a man who's the best. With guns, with knives, with his bare hands. A man who's been trained to ignore pain. Ignore weather. To live off the land. To eat things that'll make a billy goat puke. In Vietnam, his job was to dispose of enemy personnel. To kill. Period. Win by attrition. Well, Rambo was the best. Welcome, everybody, to the Legitimus Podcast episode here for the end of April in 2020. Hopefully, everybody out there is doing well and surviving corona, and hopefully, we only have a week or two left here to go before we can all get back to a little bit of normal. So, we have a very, very special episode today I'm very excited about. We have myself, Mike Miller. We have the one and only, the leather man, Chris Kellinger, also known as the Handle King, and then our... Special guest that we have today is a Mr. Nathan Trueblood out from the great Midwest, the state of Indiana, and he is going to be sharing some Kelly knowledge with us today. So, Mr. Trueblood, get us going here. Tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit of history, and what's going on out there in your area. Hey, guys. uh, Nathan Trueblood uh, from Madison County, Alexandria, Indiana uh, is where we're at. Um, We're about five miles from the original location of the Kelly Alexandria plant and uh, just hanging out here in the Midwest uh, and enjoying this weather. And I've got a little bit of information for you guys later on, uh, timeline on Kelly Alexandria, maybe some things people didn't know, uh, some misconceptions, and, um, yeah, that's about it. So, Miller, I, what, I think you could say that we have a man on location. You know, I that's exactly right. Number one, I didn't know that he was that close. I knew that True Blood was in the area. I didn't know he was five miles away, six miles, whatever. So that's really awesome. So we do have our first uh, on location. He's like our beat reporter now for the Alexandria scene, which is going to be good. And, um, you know, to that point, you bring up a really good point, Killer. So True Blood, if you would talk to uh, everybody. I know that you've obviously you've been to the site. You've done a little bit of, uh, you know, research there. Like, what was that like to be able to go there? Oh, that was great. Um, so about a year and a half ago, I uh, stopped at the local uh, 
historical museum <clears throat> and uh, let them know I had an interest in the uh, Kelly Alexandria plant. They actually have a small, um, uh, what what is it, display there at the uh, local historical museum. And uh, I talk, started talking to them. They told me uh, the name of the owner of the current, the current owner of the, uh, the factory grounds. And I uh, left straight there and went <clears throat> out to that place and knocked on the door. A uh, sweet little lady come to the door, and uh, that started everything for me. Very cool. Yeah, that's uh, that's some on-the-site history then right there. So that's really cool. Can't wait to hear about the Alexandria and the history of it. And uh, obviously I'm interested in that, and I know everybody else is going to be. Um, how are you guys looking out there your way, Corona? Like a lot of stuff locked down. Like how many cases are you looking at? Just real rough. Like is it does it is it not that bad? Like what's happening out there? Yeah, I think um, about Friday, you know, last <laughs> Like 14,000 cases, 750 uh, passed away. Um, I think we're getting to the point here where everybody's just like, you know, let's do what we have to do to stay safe, but let's start getting back together. Uh, the separation's kind of killing people um, mentally, not physically. I hear you. I think everybody's sort of at wit's end right now. And, you know, the cabin feveritis, so to speak, is is really taking over. I know and driving around this past weekend fishing and stuff like that. I mean, there's there doesn't seem to be any shortage of people out and about and doing whatever they want. So how is it out your way, Keller? What's the Corona update over in Ohio? Uh, things seem normal, honestly. Uh, you see some people wearing masks a lot more than usual. But overall, I mean, it, maybe it's just perception, you know. Yeah, I hear you. I like to wear my fishing mask. I have one of those SA fishing masks with the skull on it and everything like that. So I can't really imagine walking into a store, though, with that on. Like, I would think that would get a little touch and go nowadays well, if you have one of those masks on. I have a plan. Like, if they make if they make uh, mask mandatory, I have a couple military Things that I'm gonna just break out of the woodwork, <laughs> like a shamak or a freaking uh, bakalava or baka. What do they call it, Nathan? Balaclava. Balaclava. Uh, quick little side story. Nathan and I both share something very in common. We uh, we were both served in the military, and we had the same MOS. Yeah, eleven might. Yeah. Well, technically, I was an 11 Bravo, but that okay. that's because of the later dates they changed it to where 11 Bravo could do anything, really. They could make you anything. But what it translates to is we were both Bradley Gunners, right? I drove. I was a driver. You weren't a gunner? No, no, no. Oh, we can't even talk anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I did shoot one time though. That was it. One time. Just once? Yeah, over in uh we did some live fire exercises, you know, while I was stationed in Kuwait and uh that was about it. But so it's pretty neat. It, if you guys don't know what a Bradley is, it's basically a, a troop transport vehicle. It looks like a tank. And it takes three crew members to uh operate a Bradley. You got a, a BC, which is a Bradley commander, you got a gunner who gets to have all the fun and then you have the driver and uh 
it's pretty neat because Nathan and I didn't really know any of that. And then we had a meetup at my house and we got to talking and it turned out that we were both, uh, we both had same ex- similar experience in the military. Now you were, you were full time, right? Yes. Yep. I was actually national guard. So I only got to do it on the weekends and two weeks a year. So the ad says, says, <laughs> yeah. But the, again, the military has a way of twisting things. Very cool. What was the, the, what did you say? MOS. What is that? I don't know what that is. MOS is basically your job. What's that stand for? Uh, Man, I would be guessing, but I'm going to say uh, military occupational specialty. That's it. Yeah. Either way, we're both infantry, period. Yeah. And Still then, very cool and uh small world after all sometimes. Isn't that weird how that works out? So. Well, less than 1% of the United States population even qualifies to be in the military. So, yeah. <laughs> no doubt. So, very cool. So, uh Killer, as we normally do, uh, fill us in, man. What's been going on the last week then? How are the goats, chickens, turkeys, no bird flu or anything like that happening? No, big news, big news on the the farm. I moved the goats again. And uh, these goats, I'm telling you, these goats, if you don't have goats, get goats. (laughs) You have, they're hours worth of entertainment. Um. I moved the goats around the property because I used the goats to, to clean up the land. And, um, so <clears throat> man, my screen keeps going out. Can you guys still hear me? Sure. Yeah, so I use, I have a portable electrical fence that I can move in any configuration I want. So I just kind of leapfrog these, go- these goats around my property and they, they clean up the briars and the poison ivy and all that stuff. So, the other day I moved them. It was cool. I just uh started taking down the fence and let them roam. And they just kind of roamed around the area and, and as soon as they lost sight of me, they came they went running for me. They're like little dogs. God. It's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So we moved the goats. They got them, got them working in another area. And then the the turkeys are about like three times the size that they were a week ago. How many turkeys you got? Six turkeys and then eleven chickens. The, the turkeys are they a mix? Uh, they're a mix as far as uh, white and multicolor. I don't know what, what to call them. Like mixed male, female wise, or I don't. I honestly don't know. Don't know yet. Okay. I hope they're all boys. Oh boy. Hey Chris, can I ask a farm question while we're at it? Yep. Um, my wife caught my uh, kids bunnies pumping this <laughs> and their brother sister. Is that going to be okay? No, probably. Not. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have some things going on there. Yeah, yeah. Three years and six legs. Yeah, I was okay. just going to say three-eared rabbit. Yeah, no doubt about this, that. One so. of those rabbits is going to walk with a limp. <laughs> <laughs> Play a banjo, maybe? Probably. Definitely a banjo. They're going to come out playing a banjo. All right. True Blood, man. What do you got going on out your way? What's been happening in the last week or so? What's the update? Uh, you know, I'm, right now, honestly, I'm trying to work this guy over on Facebook to get me another Alexandria axe. Uh, he won't come off of it. and I'm, I'm trying to work him over hard, you know, trying to play the pity game and 
about every every uh, curveball I could throw at the guy, but uh, he ain't came off of it. It's a uh, double bit J.P. Kelly electric chopper. So Ooh. it's a uh, he he's got something pretty rare. I mean, it's a stamped. It's not an etched head, but it you know I've never seen another one. So it's got to come home eventually. <clears throat> Done a couple cleanups and uh, had a buddy from uh, high school see J.P. Kelly Columbia and I did last week and he got a hold of me and said, hey, my grandpa, you know, I've got his axe. Um, <clears throat> I'd like to have it cleaned up. So he dropped it off and, you know, we turned it around and got it back to him and made him and his dad pretty happy. So, you know, just keep on keeping on. Very cool, man. The struggle is always real whenever you got to work people over for what you're looking for. So we know how that goes, and uh, that'll be very interesting. Hopefully be able to uh, convince to be able to get that Alexandria back home to where it needs to go. So how many uh, Alexandrias do you think, I don't know if you have a count or roughly, what, what do you got in the collection there? He's counting for you you guys that can't see. It looks about, uh, we're nearing the 20 head mark right now. Um, 16 to 18 of them are hung. I'm um, actually got one over there on the bench now that I just started uh, cleaning up a old uh, boys axe handle I had in the in the bucket. So I'm gonna try to get it hung next and make that keep keep climbing. Very cool. Yeah. So, all right. Well, we got our uh, we got the updates in for the week. We know what's going on. We got our Corona updates, unfortunately, and hopefully we got about. I don't know. I think I'm done with Corona. I think this week I'm just going to sort of do what I want for the I will most say, part. Yeah, I will say this. I, no matter what our government decides at the end of the week, I, I, there is no more Corona. Well, what's what's your what's Ohio's like lockdown date? Are you guys done? We're supposed to be done by the end of this 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 month. By the end of the what? April. Yeah, and then they're going to start implementing a three phase whatever to get things back rolling. Okay. Um, what do you uh, what do you guys have going on out there? Tri- about the same. May first, we're gonna start uh, a three phase um, easement of the lockdown, and uh, hopefully, my wife will get back to work soon. She's been sitting on her butt for about four weeks, so take <laughs> taking care of the kids. I'm sure it's no uh, no fun. So yeah, yeah, we can see that. <laughs> <laughs> Pennsylvania has sort of been all over the place. We're supposed to be on until May 8th, and then they have the state busted into like six regions, and then each region, depending on where you're at, has its own plan for uh, releasing everything. Obviously, Philadelphia is like a whole other country now. If you're talking about corona versus then Pittsburgh, and then really the rest of the state. I mean, we have multiple counties in Pennsylvania that have no cases, which is sort of sort of crazy. So I guess... You know, Pennsylvania and the Allegheny National Forest, man, if you got to ask them to, you know, hunker down, they know how to hunker down with the best of them, I guess. So we'll see. So another week, man, that's about as more than I can take. And I don't think many people are really abiding by it now. Like I said, I, I don't know. We'll see. And hopefully you'll be able to get everything going and get this economy rolling, get people back to work and get some people spending some money and get this thing going. That's what we need. So. Try and balance that out with everything else. But, all right, enough stupid corona talk. Let's talk about some axes. Let's talk about Kelly. 
Let's talk about Alexandria. So, True Blood, educate me, man. Talk to me about oh. Kelly Alexandria. Tell me what I need to know. All right. First, I'm a shameless plug here. Killinger, I'm glad you brought them handles back. Um, <laughs> you got to keep it going, man. That It's good stuff. It's quality. You know, it's, it's worth every penny you're charging. So much love for that, man. You got to keep it going. Appreciate that. But, uh, yeah, so we'll go to Kelly, uh, Alexandria, Indiana, Central Indiana. Um, everyone knows probably that Kelly started in the late 1800s, probably 1870s. Um, I don't get real specific on the dates pre, pre, uh, Alexandria, but, uh, what I can tell you, um, I got a hold of the original abstract titles from the purchase and the sale of the, uh, Alexandria property. Um, this stuff was pretty cool. Made, made the hair on the back of my neck stand up <clears throat> when I had it in my hands. Um, so I actually went through page by page and uh, did a uh, synopsis of the dates and the timeline of things that were happening in Alexandria. Uh, so I'll start right there at uh, February 14th, 1893. <clears throat> the Kelly Axe Manufacturing Company of Louisville purchased 20 acres outside of Alexandria, Indiana from eight individuals and the Capital Real Estate Company of Alexandria. Um, they had a cash term, but there was also written in the deal that the removal of all Kelly Axe manufacturing equipment in Louisville, Kentucky, must be relocated to this said 20 acres. Um, <clears throat> what was going on right then is uh, central Indiana there was a massive gas well discovered, um, 1891, 92, uh, and by 93, um, Kelly had found out about this and knew that they had a, what they thought was an unlimited supply of fuel to, uh, fuel their forges. So that's what made the, uh, the move come to place. <clears throat> and this next date is going to throw some loops into everything. Um, everyone knows by Lamont's work and everything that 1896 is the accepted date of uh, production for Kelly and Alexandria. But um, from a November 19, 1894, Boonville, Indiana newspaper clipping, myself and uh, Ryan Landon have found that Kelly Axe Manufacturing begins production in Alexandria at a reduced capacity while the factory is being completed July 4th, 1894. So that's a full two years pri uh, previous to what all other uh, dates have been shown previously. So that was a uh, big eye opener for me. And I was always on that 1896 date myself and even the, the local history department and all that, you know, 96 is the date, but, um, gotta, you, you gotta see that 94 is probably the new recognized date. And, uh, that's about what, March, April, May, about 18 months after they purchased the property. So it, it makes sense. <clears throat> so see very it. cool, very cool not to interrupt you on that, but you bring up, uh, already the first change then in sort of what we would say has been deemed acceptable or what we've been reading or what we've been taught. So we're already talking about somewhere in that 18 to 24 months difference, which is very substantial. Now, 
Any idea then, whenever they bought that property, you said it was the 20 acres, was there a building on there or did they have to build the building? Uh, no, this was all platted, but it was not built upon. Okay. Very cool. But they still then got going two years before what we know or what we've been sort of, again, taught, what we read. So, and you said limited uh, manufacturing. Any idea? Like, was that like hatchets, axes, other tools? Any idea on uh, that? Or? As far as I can tell, it was just a limited uh, output or throughput of axes. Um, I don't, cool. they don't mention anything about the size or anything being made. I can tell you in the future that size are made here in, in Alexandria, but it's not very prominent. It does not overshadow the, uh, the axe game, <clears throat> but the, uh, actual, the, uh, historical society does have a Alexandria Kelly Psy shipping box, shipping crate, which is, it's a, it's a very nice artifact for sure. Probably the best artifact they've got in the whole. Uh, Kelly display up there. Wow. All right. So that's cool. So first thing, bam, right off the bat, we're already two years ahead of schedule. So, all right, man, keep rolling. All right. So May 15th, 1896, um, got some lawsuits. Uh, I didn't realize lawsuits were, you know, kind of recorded in these old titles, but uh, we have WC Kelly versus the Kelly Axe Manufacturing Companies. Um, he requests for the appointment of a receiver. Um, sounds like they're probably having some money issues. Uh, this request is granted to the Union Trusted Company out of Indianapolis. All property and functions will be under the umbrella of the receiver moving forward. So 1896, when we think that Kelly started starting to work out of Alexandria, they're already in receivership. So maybe they've uh, spent a little too much money putting that factory together. <clears throat> March uh, 1901. Okay, I'm gonna this. I'm gonna skip back real quick here. So August 20, August 19, 1900. The Kelly Axe Factory is destroyed about 90 percent uh, from a fire. Uh, estimates of the day were anywhere from seven to eight hundred thousand dollars in damages. But the factory will be rebuilt. It will be larger and more advanced. Um, and I have some Sanborn fire maps, the uh, 96 fire map, and the 1901, and it shows a substantial um, increase in capacity and uh, square footage in that factory. So, <clears throat> And that was 1900, you said? Correct. Cool. Yep. So uh, March 20th of 01, the Lexington Company sells 15 more acres to the adjoining land of uh, to W.C. Kelly himself. Um, this was actually built in the Lexington edition, so uh, the Lexington Company owned a substantial part of this this quadrant of uh, Alexandria back in the day. <clears throat> June 13th, 1901, W.C. Kelly pet- petitions Alexandria, the city, the town, to vacate all plats regarding the set above 15 acres. Uh, Alexandria petition is granted and the land is unplatted and this annexed in the town. So now it's uh, under W.C. Kelly's control and he does not have to follow any variances and such. <clears throat> June 20th. So one week after he gets this extra 15 acres, uh, articles of incorporation are filed with the state of Indiana. 
for the Kelly Axe Manufacturing of Alexandria. They uh, report a capital stock of $2 million and a 50-year term. The five-man board of directors is going to be W.C. Kelly, J.P. Kelly, his brother, Robert Thompson, George Price, whose name you'll see uh, even after the uh, Charleston move. And what is really uh, uh, interesting to me is Henry Idle. He's the vice president of the Union Trust Company, also the uh, brother-in-law of James Whitcomb Riley. Big money in Indiana back in these days. But uh, the vice president of the company who is actually taking over receivership of Kelly Axe Manufacturing is now going to be a board member of this new company, Kelly Axe Manufacturing of Alexandria. <clears throat> One month or two weeks later, W.C. Kelly versus Kelly Axe Manufacturing petition for discharge of the receivership. So June 20th, Henry Idle, the Union Trust vice president, was put on the board. Uh, two weeks later, they uh, dissolved the, the uh, receivership, and now Kelly is back in control of the Kelly Axe Manufacturing Company. Same date, Kelly Axe Manufacturing Company sells 20 acres, the original 20-acre property, to the Kelly Axe Manufacturing Company of Alexandria for a quarter million dollars. So they come out of receivership, and the same day they're making a quarter million dollar transfer. <laughs> I'll skip forward. Uh, nothing really on the uh, on the rolls of this abstract until 1903, when we have a tax assessment that was in, included in this. Um, the land was assessed for twenty two hundred dollars. Building improvements at 52,000, personal property at 74,000, uh, 1903 total assessment of $128,820. So uh, this is what the assessment was. Um, doesn't really tell you a whole bunch, but how, this is what they were being taxed for. <clears throat> and uh, we skip along to January 4th, 1905. Kelly Axe Manufacturing sells the factory property. And uh, almost all the real estate, except for the um, packing room, everything on this property, except for what they were uh, shipping the axes out of, to uh, Mr. Joseph Tate for $2,500. So, uh, yeah, Kelly Axe Company sells it to Kelly Axe of Alexandria for 250000 but everything else is the whole property sold for $2,500 only four years later. Um, <clears throat> at this point, you know, Kelly's leaving Alexandria. Um, I can tell you that at that time, the, uh, the wells, the gas wells were drying up and they could no longer uh, provide sole power for themselves. They had uh, actually sold all their wells and their uh, stock to a company out of Marion. Uh, Marion's about 15 miles north of here. And, uh, Coincidentally, Marion Tool Works uh, will come on the scene here within the next uh, 10 to 15 years post-sale, but uh, that's for another day to talk about. Um, so, yeah, they sold their wells, and then they uh, didn't want to pay their bills on the wells because they were still producing, and they were having trouble uh, paying the bill to the, uh, 
the gas company at that time, they, they were actually, uh, caught, uh, bypassing meters and such and, uh, taking, taking gas on their own. But, um, that's the story here in Alec and <clears throat> everybody knows that from here on out, you know, the move's going to be to Charleston. Um, so we're looking at 1894 to 1905, 1904 ish, uh, January 4th, 05 is pretty early in the year, but we'll call it 05. So just so about a 10 year run here. So and then, uh, Kelly's gonna keep doing some crazy stuff and doing it in, uh, another, another state. So. Very interesting. So obviously we got some new info in there from what, you know, we sort of already known, obviously, as we've already said, the 1894 date different than what we knew. And then the 1904-1905 thing is sort of, again, depending on where you read and things like that, um, is still very interesting. But a couple of things that you said there, though. So whenever they do that assessment in 1903, it looked like you said it was for right around $128. Well, whenever they did the rebuild, didn't you say it was for like seven or eight hundred thousand dollars? Right. So they they claimed a seven to eight hundred thousand dollar loss with the insurance companies uh, in nineteen hundred. Nineteen oh three. Once it's rebuilt, it's rebuilt in one and oh three. It's assessed for one hundred twenty eight thousand. Um, and by the Sanborn maps, like I was saying, we probably got. Oh. I would say a three to four time expansion, um, factory wise buildings and, you know, the spread, um, there's grind, extra grinding rooms, etching rooms on its own, uh, packing, um, just the forging floor is, is massive. Very interesting. So just goes to show you, and you had sort of, uh, elaborated on it there, like a lot of interesting, we'll say interesting is the word, I guess. A lot of interesting stuff going on from a law dog insurance standpoint, company standpoint, rearrangements, receivership uh, was something that I had never heard of until I started to read about this stuff with the companies. So there's all kind of crazy stuff going on. So especially whenever you're looking at the valuation before and after and everything like that. So did the uh, did the gas thing then, the natural gas, that sort sure. of what we've sort of heard and read, did that hurt everything else? In the Alexandria area then? I mean, you talked about Marion there a little bit. Like, how did that all fall out? Right. So uh, my wife's uh, grandfather, he passed away last year at 102 years old. And uh, he he's from this area also. He's from this town. And uh, we actually lived um, three or four miles west of the plant, of the Kelly plant. And uh, he had a farm out there. But he tells stories about that little town out there, um, which now – has maybe 200 people that live in it. Um, he, he tells stories of during the gas boom having six or seven hotels and five to ten um, saloons, churches everywhere, and just a booming, booming area. Uh, so this whole this whole place was pretty pretty large. Uh, Aladdin lamps, uh, lipping clot, glass. Um, John's Mansville came from here originally. Um, you may know that name from like, uh, toilets and such, but they came here and made, uh, what they called rock wool insulation. Uh, this was a very, very booming, uh, economy in the late 1890s to early 1900s. But 
once that gas was gone, so was the business. <clears throat> Which does make sense, obviously, with what they're looking to do and how they're looking to do it. So very interesting, especially with W.C. Kelly, man. He's basically suing himself, if I'm hearing you right, to a point yeah. anyways. <laughs> right, right, yes. So you bring up a really good point because what I will tell you is, you know, this past week, obviously the, the last two podcasts we had talking about Winchester, Kelly, you can't talk about those and not talk about the Kelly influence, American X and tool and what that all looks like. And we'll save this. We'll get into this at another time, but your boy WC Kelly is an absolute gangster of the ax world in the turn of the century, 1900. He's a very, He's a very interesting character. We'll, we'll put it that way as far as the adjective to use. Um, very shrewd businessman. Obviously, he has his story with his old man. And his old man, for people that don't know, uh, had basically developed the Bessemer process before Bessemer, and he got shorted out of any of the earnings of Bessemer because he was late to the game in the patent process. And it appears that that was a sore spot with, with uh, Kelly. So, well, again, we'll talk about that later, but um, really good history with uh, the Alexandria and that whole area. So with that, there's um, like we're talking about the Kelly axes from Alexandria. Obviously, there's some of them that are more well known for that. So like if I'm out there, I'm looking or if I want one, like what am I looking for if we're talking about Alexandria? Ooh, man, so uh <laughs> They had a lot of nice etches back then. Um, as everybody knows, the etches were pretty popular. Um, J.C. Messer has a uh, prime example. Um, some people know the, the uh, Chip Slinger name brand. Uh, there was another etch called the Raised Bit. It is basically the same. It is a very protruding bit. Um, it's got a very wonderful etch. Um, they also marketed it under the Sunken Blade, which is another raised bit, um, the Kelly Chip Slinger. Uh, let's see here. The Vulcan. The Vulcan Axe was actually uh, first presented out of Alexandria. Um, I've actually got the uh, original paper label for a Vulcan. I'm very fortunate to have been given that uh, by a local historian here. Um, the Kelly Columbian came out of Alexandria first. Uh, trying to see what else we got sitting here on the wall. Uh, Kelly Battle Axe came from Alexandria. And uh, let's see here. What else do we have? Um, Kelly Handmade was first, I believe, made here. I don't think I've seen anything pre-Alexandria on that handmade. <clears throat> there were lots of patents done while we were here. Uh, yeah. So very cool. I think, um, you know, some of the ones that sort of come to mind for me as far as being Alexandria based or having a, a tie to Alexandria, obviously that chip slinger is a very cool axe um, with the history behind it. The paper labels that came with that are very immaculate. That raised bit that uh, Messer has obviously a little bit of a different with the manufacturing process and what that looked like. And so that holds a very special little niche in the uh, in the axe world. And you don't see too many of those. So it's very interesting. The Vulcan got its start there. And then the Colombian, which you don't see too much of the Colombian post 
Alexandria. I think it's it's out there. It's not very popular, mostly in some some basic stamps, if I remember right. Um, but you do see it with the Colombian and, and the the Alexandria stamp in there with it. But the Vulcan, which is a pretty popular line, obviously we see that all the way up through with the the two line stamp, the three line stamp. You know, 1930s, 40s, 50s. That Vulcan with its original paper label and that stamp is actually something of beauty. And that that originated in that Alexandria area and that, that time frame of the company. So that, that is really cool. So um so you talk about your your you know you're really close proximity wise, five miles away. What did that look like then if you know? So they're out of the game 1904, 1905, obviously the building's getting sold off. Um, any idea then, like what happened to the building or the area, like in between now and then? Because we're talking what a hundred and we're actually talking a hundred and fifteen years post them being there. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, basically, um, immediately Joseph Tate, the uh, the next owner of the fact the uh, factory grounds, um, I found uh, some newspaper clippings where he has offered the town of Alexandria to do- donate it to the town to bring more factories in. So uh, um, the next thing you can find is a <clears throat> wood manufacturing company out of Marion uh, moves their operation here and they start milling um, basically uh, probably because all the, uh, the line shafts and stuff are still here. Um, in 1920-ish, uh, there's a large tornado that destroys both the town that I was speaking of uh, my wife's grandfather lived in, um, which is, like I said, uh, three miles west. It destroys that town, um, which the uh, company I actually work for is there, and it, was, it got destroyed there too in the 20s uh, from this. They called it the cyclone. Um, it is level. It levels the old factory grounds, <clears throat> and from then on out, it's pretty much uh, it's nothing but a wooded area. Um, like I said, uh, two years ago or so, um, I made my first visit and was welcomed with open arms. Uh, the Garusa family out of Alexandria currently owns it, and they are, they're wonderful people. Um, <clears throat> they welcome us in the axe community with open arms. Um, as our, you know, we're going to have an axe meet there this, uh, this spring, but we kind of got pushed off with this virus, so we are going to reschedule it, but they are very, um, in tune to us coming there and sharing our love of axes with them. Uh, two, uh, two previous ventures out there, we've found 36 heads, uh, buried in the ground. <clears throat> uh, myself, I've restored two of them and hung them and they are over here on the wall. Uh, Roy, um, uh, from Vintage Axe Works has one. He, he was on the original, uh, trip down here. <clears throat> And was gifted a uh, a jersey straight from the ground. Really nice, nice axe. So uh, <clears throat> I've got a jersey myself and uh, a basic Dayton, but I love them. They're nice, uh, hit and polish kind of deal. No stamps, but great. Um, <clears throat> yeah, like I said, 36 axes have been dug up. Uh, various stages of uh, restorability. Just great people, you know, <clears throat> can't wait to get back out there and for some more of these other guys to meet these these people and share that love with them. So, so like, where do we think that those axes 
Like, how did they actually get into the ground then? Is that maybe, like, from that first fire? Like, I saw the one that Roy has. It's an absolutely beautiful piece. I've seen, I think, either pictures of yours or uh, something along that line. And, you know, they're, they're obviously pieces of history. But, like, what were they doing there? Like, what? any idea, like, what the story is behind that? You know, we found them um, different varying, varying conditions. One I restored, I'm going to say restored, I made – I cleaned up and handled for the owners as a gift and a token of appreciation. Um, it took me three days to dremel out the eye. It had obviously been through the fire. Um, there was slag 100% in the eye, but it was very porous, and I was able to get it back out with a dremel. Um, so I rehung that and presented that to them. Uh, we've actually found some that were so mushroomed uh, that the eye had actually damn near collapsed. Um, I don't know if it was, you know, destructive testing or, you know, they needed to beat something in at the factory. So they're going to beat the shaft gear on a shaft or whatever. Um, so we found everything from what looks like it should have been in a, in a shipping crate all the way to got beat to beat the hell and back. Um, there are probably, 100 to 200 uh, grinding stones still on the property. Um, they mostly appear like they were rolled down the back hill. And let's see, there's probably a 8 to 10 foot hill of slag and uh, molten discardings uh, out the backside from the fire and probably just waste. Um, the original water source is still on the property. It's about a 100 foot diameter pond. Um, the kids actually caught about a three pound bass out of it last weekend. So that was pretty cool. Uh, there are some underground, um, tunnels that are lined in brick. So, uh, pretty cool looking. Just, it's a big circle of bricks and I don't know how you would lay a brick in, in this fashion, but, yeah, uh, presumably fed the uh, boilers, um, there. So. It's very it, interesting. So that that pond that you talk about, I think I read somewhere, was that there or did they make that? Any uh, idea? I can't I, remember. I have to get back with you. It is on both of the uh, it is on both of the maps, sandboard maps that I've got. Um, okay. About the same size and same, you know, the location obviously is the same. So. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I just remember seeing that somewhere, and I can't remember if they made it or if it was there, but. That's um, very interesting. So those uh, grindstones, size-wise, like what, what do you think? Are they all well, over the place, like foot, two foot, three foot, like wide, or what, what do you think? They go anywhere. Let's see. Probably they all have – most of them have approximately a four-inch square bore, um, and we've found them anywhere down to 18-inch diameter, um, all the way up to three or four foot in diameter, anywhere from – probably eight to 12 inches thick. They're just, uh, they're amazing. Uh, covered in moss and just, they are, they're big. And actually, if you drive around town here in Alexandria, um, drive around enough, you'll see driveway after driveway, you know, that's used them for marker stones at the end of the drive. And people don't even want to come off of them either. So they, they've been in the ground forever. And it's just part of the history now in this town. Yeah, so the the interesting things with those is that if you look at some of the literature, and it might differ from company to company, but I know, 
like whenever Collins, Collins used to get their grinding stones originally from Nova Scotia and they, they barged them in and then they railroaded them. But they, those, whenever they first got them and put them into the plant at a minimum were six foot across. So if you're talking about a, a grinding stone, six foot across, 12 inches thick, 18 inches thick, and you're, we're talking the late 1800s, early 1900s, like how did you even possibly move that? I mean, you know, and you four inch square bore, right? So you've got some sort of wooden shaft in there. Like I, that's what I would want to see because, you know, the ones that you find now, uh, two foot across, something like that. I mean, it's all you can do to move those. Like how do you move one that's six foot across? I mean, it, it must have been quite the undertaking and they obviously had the plans to be able to do it, you know. Right, right. Yeah. Actually, uh, Carl Knox is on a, you know, a local guy. I'd say local. He lives in southern Indiana. He came up and, uh, I had found him one of these stones and, uh, he wanted one for his house. And it took, we used a four by four landscaping post to move it. Took all we could. And it was, it was only 18 inches in diameter and probably eight to 10 inches thick. But that is a solid piece of, I don't know, sandstone or limestone. Yeah, that would be nuts trying to, you know, manipulate those. I'm sure they were using their rope and pulley systems and everything like that. So that would be nuts. But Keller, what's going on? What do you got to add, man? Do you have any Kelly Alexandria pieces? I do not. I don't. I think all mine are just um, later Kelly stuff. West Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have one Alexandria piece, which actually was sent to me by, by Mr. True Blood once he felt bad for me that he heard that I did not have one on one of the previous podcasts. So thanks to him uh, for that. Um, but it's really a very interesting subset piece of history. And you get that with a few of the, the factories and what happened to them and things like that. Um, I, I remember reading where whenever that first fire hit, I think you said that was 1900, maybe 1901. I think it was 1900 where whenever they went and they rebuilt the factory with, with everything at that time, they rebuilt it with everything state of the art in, in their mind. It was all the best that they could get, all the best machinery. So is it safe to assume then that the majority of those machines uh, and things like that, they all ended up then in Charleston? Yeah, that would be my assumption. Um, I've actually found a, uh, a newspaper clipping. Um, <laughs> it's funny. There was a lot of, uh, I'm not, slave labor is not the word to use, but there were a lot of African Americans who were working at the plant at this time. Um, Kelly actually sends a, sends a train in 05, uh, back to, uh, Alexandria. I believe it was 22 cars, um, and picks up a lot of the uh, manufacturing equipment. And also he, I want to say it was five to 600 uh, African-American men that he relocated to Charleston and gave them new hope and new, uh, new jobs in Charleston. Um, there, this is a, this is a highly, uh, oh, inflammatory racial area. I'll say, um, there are some, uh, bad history in this area, um, at where, where race is concerned. And actually there were, uh, newspaper articles where <clears throat> when, uh, WE was moving from Louisville to Alexandria, there were, there were threats of violence and, uh, <laughs> and such, uh, due to 
bringing in the uh, the workforce. Um, but uh, yeah, he uh, he did come back and get a lot of the equipment and the workers. Um, <clears throat> he actually posted in the local newspapers for certain individuals who were working at the Alexandria plant. Uh, he could not locate them, but he posted in the uh, the local paper trying to get them to come to Charleston to teach the new crews uh, how to how to grind and polish axes. Um, lots of lots of interesting history. No doubt. I mean, that, go ahead, Killer. I I have a question. So, like, when they were manufacturing axes in Alexandria, was this the only plant running at that time? Um. Plant as an axe factory or plant as in here? No, a plant is an axe factory. You mean for Kelly? Yeah. Go, go ahead, Trooper. Um, I'm going to make a large assumption that yes, um, until they moved to Charleston, they were not running another factory. Um, you know, this is way before American Fork and Hoe, so they, we, we weren't, you know, running the Evans, well, we'll talk about that later, I'm sure, but, you know, American Fork and Hoe eventually buys Evansville out in uh, Evansville, Indiana. But, um, yes, as far as I can tell you, they were only producing axes out of Alexandria under the Kelly label at this time. And this is, this is, this is early on, right? Like this is before West Virginia. Oh, yeah. Correct. Correct. So the last, the last known location of Kelly would have been in West Virginia, Charleston. As we know it now, the last one would have been Charleston up until 1982 is when they closed the doors at that plant. Yeah. So the American Fork and Hoe, that was Charleston? Okay. American Fork and Hoe, whenever they came together with Kelly, and then there was also another company, there was a shovel company that the three of them actually came together, and this will be something that we got to discuss because there's some new information that comes with this, which thanks for ruining the party, Keller. But <laughs> 1930, um, 1929, 1930, bam, depression hits, right? We got all this stuff going on. Um, American Fork and Hoe, W.C. Kelly start into negotiations in 29, 1930. Kelly acts American Fork and Hoe and a shovel company all become American Fork and Hoe, the new American Fork and Hoe. 1930, 1933, W.C. Kelly dies. He passes away. So um, that is, they continue then to run that plan at Charleston up until 82. And then in 82, they uh, that plan is done. And to my knowledge right now, there is a shopping mall facility where that plant sits. So the Alexandria plant closed because of the fire? No, no they, they closed because they... They didn't have enough gas in Charleston. They oh, didn't offer to move there. So, but the plant's gone now, right? It is. It is nothing more than a wooded area. Um, if you didn't know what you were looking at until you uh, tripped over some grinding stones, it looks nothing more than you know your local mushroom finding woods. So why did they tear it down? Nineteen twenty. A cyclone tornado, uh, oh. it flattened. Yeah, it flattened. And when, uh, when the, the current owners bought it, uh, I'd have to look at that date. Um, the only, there was one building standing left. Uh, it was actually the payroll building. Uh, apparently it had a door on the front, a door on the back. It was two feet thick in brick. 
And story has it, you know, the guys would walk through and uh, collect their payroll as they went to work. Um, that is no longer standing. It is just a pile of rubble now. Very interesting. Always those good side stories that come along with the history piece of axes and the companies and, and everything like that. So those are the ones. I just want to point out that you guys are you guys got eBay notifications on your phone right now. Yeah, that's me. Sorry about that. <laughs> Sorry, let's see what it says. I'm just trying to stay in the notes. I got I got to stay on top of stuff. Collins and Company Hatchet Legitimus. Ten minutes left. Mine was for Marion Tool Works. I was standard. Upset a couple people. So you always got to keep an eye on what's going on out there, Killer. You know that. Come on now. Uh, yeah, so. eBay, eBay's not dead. I'm, I'm just saying. All right. eBay is in fact not dead. That is yeah. correct. You would have thought that. Um, not to get off topic, but I would have thought that like eBay and Axes would have gone to the wayside with everything going on now for the last month and. I didn't really see any sign of anything slowing down. All I saw was some dollar bills getting spent. So that's uh, that's a good sign. I mean, I'll, I'll take it as a good sign anyway. So a lot of guys out there still getting getting their pieces that they're looking for. So um, so let's talk about well, let's let's sort of venture into that a little bit. So True Blood, if I'm Joe, the new axe guy on the scene, and I just listened to this awesome podcast. And I'm like, man, I got to get me an Alexandria. What's the likelihood of me being able to get one? Uh, let's see. I've been here for about a year and a half doing this uh, when that passion started. And, you know, I've got 20. Um, I think more importantly than, than than being able to search eBay is you got to network. You got to you got to make some relationships out there in the axe community. Um, I think I've gotten more heads. Uh, from guys who know my my passion for Alexandria, um, I've had guys reach out and say, "Hey, I I want this, but I'm not I'm not gonna not gonna keep it from you. So you know, here's a, here's an offer for you. Um, I'm not gonna offer it to anybody else. And I've ended up with three, four, or five of them. You know, just like that. Um, so are they are they Alexandria's marked Alexandria? Yeah, yeah, they are. Uh, they're Mark, you know, J.P. Kelly patented with an Alexandria subline. Um, <clears throat> I've got a few different uh, markings. But, uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of variation. Um, but yeah, network, 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 because uh, that's about the only way you get it. You know, I've actually been been given a couple axes and uh, uh, like a couple pinnacle pieces for my collection. Uh, the original. Uh, Alexandria labels. Um, the I have an original shipping box or store, you know, the little storage box for the single heads for the mm-hmm. Kelly. And, uh, so I, I just don't know how you would get things like that without having that network of people uh, behind you. So I guess it's yeah. not all the money. It's not always about that dollar. It's about knowing where where things go and where they fit the best and not yeah. everybody out there's out there looking to make a killing. So. It's not necessarily what you know, but sometimes it's who you know, especially in this game that we're all part of now and trying to figure everything out and 
you know, what goes where. And, uh, there definitely are some guys like yourself or like yourself that has the, uh, I don't know what you would call it, your specialization, your niche, your interest, I guess, which is really cool. And, um, the, the best thing about that, which is what this podcast is all about, then we have guys like yourself that are, um, really great resources to be able to reach out to and say, Hey, listen, get me educated on this. Uh, I don't know what this is all about or what we need to know or don't know. So that is very cool. And, um, the best part about it is that we're just going to keep learning about Alexandria and Kelly and what was going on there and the role and everything like that, because everything with Kelly just keeps opening up and just more and more info keeps coming. So it's going to be really cool to, to see what happens and, and what else comes forth. So what else you got there, killer? Anything else from the great state of Ohio here today? Well, that's a nice shirt you got on there, killer. You like that? Yeah. <laughs> I got a whole slew of uh, Axe T-shirts uh, via eBay from that. I can't remember that guy's name. What's that guy's name? I'd give him a shout-out if I can remember his name. I think it's Axe in Hand is his handle, right? I think that's it. I think that's it. It's done a good job. Yeah. I got like 12 of his shirts. They are pretty good. I get compliments on my shirts all the time. They're like, I, I didn't design them. I just wear them. <laughs> That's because you look good, Keller, man. That's that's why. Oh, that's what it is. <laughs> I I just think it's interesting the the how the companies moved around. Seems like a lot of a lot of the axe companies moved around over the years. Well, it was, and especially Kelly. I mean, if you look at Kelly, they went from Kentucky to Indiana to Charleston, West Virginia. So, you know, to, to True Blood's point there, whenever they're sending in the railway and stuff like that, get, you know, and, and I'm not a I'm not an automotive expert or machinery expert or anything like that, but I was talking to somebody else earlier this week, like what did that process look like in 1905 to be able to move machinery from Indiana to West Virginia? Crazy to think about. Well, how did they even pick them up? I mean, there was no forklifts, right? I mean, there was no chains, chains, blocks and tackle. and Yeah. So imagine doing that. Like we, and I think that's one of the things that like whenever we stop and we're, we're thinking about axes in 1905, but we're thinking about them in today's world. We're thinking about them in what we know today and the, the machinery, the technology and things like that that we have. Like you take some of those, the, the hammers and the presses and the, the, you know, just the various machinery that was in those foundries and the grinding wheels. How do you move that stuff? Yeah, in 1905, how do you move that stuff? I mean, it's block tackle, it's elementary physics, and it's muscle levers and all yeah. that. Yeah. What? Let's let's do let's do a breakdown of the timeline. So, when does Kelly Kelly Works or Kelly Tool or whatever? When does it start? Very first axe Kelly makes. When? What? What year is that? Well. well 1874 ish. And what, what location is that? That's Louisville. Okay. So then it, it then they moved to Indiana. Correct. In what, what year? Uh, bought the property in 93. Uh, first axe leaves, uh, July 4th, 94. And that's 1894? Correct. And that, is that under WC Kelly or is that under a previous? Ooh. Well, uh, Boy, good question. I'm uh, a, <laughs> I 
we were W.E. Kelly until we got up here, but I'm I'm not sure that the, that the older Kelly had much to do up here. I, I'm going to have to dig deeper into that one, Killinger. Old, right. old boy old boy Kelly died in 1888. Uh, W.C. Kelly that we know is he was born in the 40s. I want to say 49. So um, whenever we say old boy Kelly, that was original William Kelly. He was born in Pittsburgh. He was the guy that was originally into metallurgy. He was the guy that had originally developed the Bessemer process, which was the quick way for making purified uh, iron and steel. Here's a crazy uh, one. What was the first Kelly line? The first Kelly line? Yeah. I'm going to say the first advertised line is going to be the perfect or the false city. Wow. Yeah, perfect is definitely one of the originals. Um, was it the absolute first? I'll, I'll probably say no, but I don't, I don't remember seeing anything before that. But to True Blood's point, as far as what we have our hands on and what was advertised, perfect is old, false cities is old, and Flint Edge is old. Yeah. Um, where those three fall in, in order, I don't know, but I, I would, I would definitely agree with True Blood on that where, now, Miller, you and I have talked about the False Cities before because I was trying to get a timeline on a Kelly False Cities I own um, mm-hmm. for a video, feature video. Not not because I don't, I really don't care how old it is. I, it, it's an awesome axe either way. <laughs> but it is a False Cities, which is, believe it or not, you actually don't see a lot of those. If you think about it, you don't. You don't. See- you don't see that many of them. The, the majority that I've seen are, are usually the three line, more modern. Now, where is false? It, like, is false city is a location? It's Louisville. Louisville, uh, false city. Ohio. Yeah, there's a there's a falls there in the Ohio River. Uh, it's actually a uh, either a national or state park. But okay. yeah, it's called uh, the Falls of the Ohio State Park, which is on the Indiana Ohio or Indiana and Kentucky line there at Louisville. To deviate a little bit from our timeline here, why why would they call it False Cities? It wasn't made there, right? It would have been a local brand at the time to the plant that they had in Kentucky. Okay. So it would have been something that would have been, um, I guess, known or easy, you know, name recognition for the area there in Louisville, if I have that right. Does that sound right to you there, True Blood? Yes, I, I would agree. So then we go we go from Indiana, Alexandria to Charleston. Correct. Final rest final resting place. Correct. Now we we'll, we'll get in eighty two is when they closed that plant down, but uh as True Blood had said earlier, whenever Kelly goes post American Fork and Hoe and Fork and Ho basically uses Kelly as their axe making like division or their, their subset or their line. They, they for the most part leave them alone, but American Fork and Ho continues throughout, uh, in between say 30 and World War II and even post World War II. They acquire many different factories then of different lines. And True Blood had mentioned on there where Evansville eventually get swallowed by American Fork and Ho, which I don't have this right off the top of my head, but I want to say it was in 40-something. Does that sound right, True Blood? Well, I've got a – I've seen an ad from uh, 35, 
uh, for Evansville Tool Works. And then I've seen a picture from the 1937 Ohio River flood uh, where Evansville's, the town of Evansville was flooded. Um, and the Evansville Tool Works was right on the river. And above the Evansville Tool Works um, office door, we do have the American Fork and Hoe um, subsidiary above okay. that in 37. 37. Okay. So again, so we're, we're in that 35, 37, 40 range, which, uh, which would make sense. So, but again, it just shows like what they just slowly started to acquire all these different businesses to be able to make the stuff that they wanted to make. And, you know, Evansville at that time, I guess, fit into their business plan. So when does Kelly, the actual Kelly's step out of the picture? 33 when WC dies. Okay, so after 33, it's it's now American Fork and Hoe under the Kelly name. No, 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 other way around. It's Kelly is actually the the axe making division of American Fork and Hoe. Okay, but it's owned by American Fork and Hoe. Yes, and all the way to the 80s. No, there's multiple transitions then in between then there's a there's a group there's an there's a steel group out of pittsburgh that owns them then at some point it, there's three or four different when does the um, kelly line die and like what is the last the last uh, model i guess we could say so you me barco yeah so barco out of pennsylvania bought the rights to the three main kelly lines which was wood slasher so oh, it's so Stop and think about that. Wood Slasher, man, makes it all the way to the end. Yeah, Wood Slasher, so perfect, yeah. and uh, shit, what's the other one? Um, Flint Edge. Okay. Well, cause, you know, it makes sense because you see Flint Edges and Wood Slashers like crazy. You do, but the, Barco bought it. Don't hold me. Flint Edge might have not made it to Barco. I can't remember, to tell you the truth. I don't have that in front of me right now. I got those those uh nothing like putting you on the spot. <laughs> Go ahead, no, but, what do you got? But Wood Slasher was one of the, the lines there. You could still buy and then perfect you could buy there at the end then too. Yeah. So, yeah. Disclaimer on the Flint Edge. Um the uh the depiction of the man at the uh the tempering or the quenching well uh with the Flint Edge, the best axe made, uh yeah. that was actually trademarked in Alexandria. So okay. Little little extra tidbit there. But yeah, it, it, it's easy to say the wood slasher was probably the last holdout because that's the one that you see they stopped stamping the heads and just went to paper labels or foil labels at that point. Yeah, they went foil and then they started to, to just do the basic stamp and then they didn't even stamp them. Then they just painted them red and they had the ridges in the eye. Right. Yep. So pretty basic. Crazy. And Barco, to my knowledge, I don't even know if Barco exists anymore. They they were absorbed by a group called the Phoenix Forging Group. Is it Barco or Baco? Barco, B-A-R-C-O. Okay, so Baco is a different company. Yeah, and I don't I don't think that they're in. I don't think that you can go and buy a wood slasher from Barco now. I don't I don't think I'd have to look at that. Um, but I don't know that. But they they would have made it up till well Barco was still making axes ten years ago. Yeah, they were still doing wood slashers and stuff like that eight, ten years ago. So it's amazing to think, though. So if you stop just for a second, 1874, Louisville, Kentucky, <laughs> Kelly starts with 
false city, perfect, whatever that looks like. This, that, the other, move all across the country, mergers, takeovers, wood slashers, still made eight years ago. The, the old wood slasher. That's crazy. Yep. But 18. So when did that legacy begin? 1880 something? 1874 is when they started in Louisville with the axe making process. Basically, old man William Kelly went with that once he got treated out or cheated out of his uh, Kelly air blowing process or basically like the, the Bessemer process. Hmm. So it, it's fascinating history. There's actually books out there on on William Kelly and that process and how he exactly got cheated out of that and what happened and guys coming and going in his factory and how then him and Bessemer were, you know, obviously not friends. And then um, how WC Kelly, how that affected him then growing up because his old man got cheated and pretty much made him the ruthless businessman that he was all the way up until 33. So pretty, pretty interesting stuff. So only if we were alive back then to grab one brand new axe of every line. Unbelievable. <laughs> you imagine that or just get the other lines and just put them in a, you know, get a barrel and put them in some, uh, some oil and seal it and go bury it and save it for another day, man. Yeah. Just un uncapsulate that freaking time capsule. Yeah. So, but uh, one of the things that we'll definitely have to look at with Kelly is so, you had Louisville, you had Indiana, you had Charleston. But then you got to remember, once they went to American Fork and Hoe, their offices were located in Cleveland. So, like, if there is a paper trail anywhere, where did that paper trail go? Like, did it end in Charleston? Did the did paperwork and stuff like that actually get transported to Cleveland? Did that ever happen? Did they not care and just shit can the paperwork? I, I know whenever I was in Collins, and man bought Collins in 66. One of the first things that they did, according to the old timers up there, is that the man came in and said, we're going to take this, this, and this. And anything that they didn't take, they put out in the parking lot and burned, which oh. included a lot of paperwork, filing cabinets, <clears throat> stuff like that. And that's when the Canton Historical Society stepped in and said, no, we're going to take that stuff and started to absorb all that stuff. So why did the same thing happen? Why do these guys move state to state? Following that natural gas, man. Is that what it was? Yeah, money, <laughs> taxes, regulations. If you read, supposedly, when everything was, like, the, the writing was on the wall for Alexandria, the, the gas has started to dry up. Supposedly, Charleston came to Kelly with a very attractive offer. And if you think the numbers don't add up in Alexandria with what True Blood was saying, is like, this is what, this is what we were, you know, we were evaluated at $5.00. Everything burns down. We're trying to collect $700,000 and then we get reevaluated three years later and we're at $100,000. Like the stuff that was going on in Charleston is even crazier. Um, And the money that they were throwing at them to try and get them to move back, you know, again, from a business standpoint is just nuts. So is that, is that plant in Charleston still standing? No, it's, uh, there's a shopping center there. The last I knew there was a Kmart and a McDonald's. That was some time ago. Of course, that's that's probably premium property because in West Virginia it's all hills. So. 
So it was on the, they had 40 acres on the riverfront. So I think what you could do with that. True blood, man. What do we got? Wrap us up with Alexandria. True blood's gone. Uh oh. Give him a second. Maybe he'll be back. All I can see is his nostrils. (laughs) (laughs) It's technology we got here. That's flawless. Technology, man. Indiana and technology. Tell you what. Of course, I didn't even know that they were on Eastern Time Zone, like I was telling you. I thought for sure. <laughs> shows, shows what I know. Not paying attention, but it appears that we have lost Mr. True Blood. He said, I've had enough of Mike and Killer. I can't mm. handle any more of those guys, but, uh, too much for him. Killer, wrap us up then, bud. Well, it's been a very interesting ride. I think we got a, a good broad uh, perspective of the uh, Kelly legacy. They're definitely one of the big ones. Yeah, no doubt. And we'll have more of that going forward. Uh, myself, uh, shout out to Ryan Landon, the research guru. We found a bunch of stuff this past week with uh, Winchester, King Cutter, Kelly, American Accent Tool. And get, what I will what Ryan. I will tell you, yeah, we got to have him on because it's, <clears throat> it's fascinating. I've talked to him a couple times, and um, what we've been able to find is – it's really eye-opening, and basically what we know right now from an axe history standpoint, it's all going to change here as soon as we can get this together and get it out. And I don't really know why that is. Um, can't really say, but it is what it is. History, I guess, as we continue to be able to dig in, have better resources, be able to talk to people, get access to some of the historical societies, things like that. It's, it's really interesting, but stuff is going to change. It's to me, it's very interesting. I don't know about anybody else, but we'll see. We'll see where this takes us. Well, if you think about it, we live in a time right now with the axe, the axe community, where there's so many people interested in in this hobby that all new things come to light every day. Where, like when Tom Lamont was writing his his book or his you know books, and he was doing that re- uh, research. Nobody really was interested. He was just going to the source and getting whatever information he thought he could get. And there was a lot of stuff un- not uncovered. So it is. It's it's very interesting. I will tell you, just in this past week, with the amount of time and everything that I put in and trying to find stuff and the headache, and you know, this article says this, this article says that. Again, I think I've said it before. Tip of the cap to to Tom Lamond and what he was able to do at his time there in the, say the late eighties, nineties, early two thousands, it's, I couldn't even imagine trying to do it. So kudos to that guy. And, uh, he definitely has my respect. Imagine writing a letter and then waiting months for a response. Unbelievable. Yeah. Couldn't do it. No, couldn't. we're be spoiled. <laughs> we are. That's exactly what I was going to say, man. We're spoiled, but like, you didn't respond to me in three minutes. What's going on? <laughs> but, Hey, so this has been the episode on Alexandria. Uh, we lost True Blood. We'll have to get him back on here, be able to talk some more as we find out some more stuff. He, I know, is going to try and do another trip out there, obviously, with everything going on, Corona, blah, blah, blah. So that sort of shut that thing down. But he's going to try and get out there and dig up some more heads, uh, grinding stones, whatever else is in the area. So that'll be interesting to see what comes of that. We should go down there together, you and I. We should go down there. Do a three-way. I'm sorry? We'll do a three-way. 
Me, you, and Nathan. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that is where we're going to end it. Legitimous episode out.